right, well, we are, as uh, Ryan just hinted at, we're talking about marriage this morning. And all the, all, all the guys and the girls went, ew, gross, I don't want to talk about marriage. Um, that's just something that my parents, uh, are, they care about or, or whatever. Um, but we're talking about, we're in, this, we're in this series about relationships, okay? And, and we've talked about the family, we've talked about how we need each other and how we need community, and now we're coming to marriage, and everybody on all campuses, all venues, your family, if they're here at church this morning, they're hearing about marriage as well. Now, don't, just because you are young and nowhere near marriage, right, and all the life group leaders and parents said, amen. Okay, just because you are nowhere near marriage doesn't mean that you shouldn't know what God says about marriage and about relationships. Okay, so just because you are young doesn't mean you can't build your foundation and your thoughts about what you believe about marriage. Base it on the Word of God and not what anybody else says, not culture. Right and, and, and not what other people tell you, but about what the Word of God says. And so we want to hear from the Lord this morning. This week, I asked some of you guys, some students, um, a question. And I said, what have you learned from your parents about, about marriage? I asked that to a few students. Here's what, here's what some people said. One thing is that you should love your spouse more than anything other than God, of course. Because when you love someone that much, life is more fun, struggles are easier to deal with, and you can be a great example to your children of what marriage should look like. My parents are my actual goals. That was the first one. Okay, next, next one. Oh, wow, so much. They are amazing. The way they both equally respect each other and love each other. I think it works because my dad is clearly the head of the house as it should be, but he respects her opinion and always puts her and the family first. I think the selflessness they both have is what I admire most. Always making time for each other, and they do sweet little things for each other, and they have really good communication. They always talk things out, and he always builds her up and tells her she's beautiful and encourages her. And yeah, they are so cute. That's that one. Uh, two more. I've learned, some, uh, I've learned that marriage isn't always perfect. There will be fights and disagreements. But you should remember to keep God in the marriage because he is the glue that holds it all together. Okay, these are, these are from students talking about their parents. All right, last one. I have learned many things. Last year, my parents were going through a really rough patch. And there was a lot of negativity in my home. And they were not communicating well. Even though they tried to keep my sister and I out of it, their actions affected us a lot more than I think they thought they would have. The positive thing is that I learned from all of this that once they started prioritizing their relationship with the Lord, they were able to love each other much better. Now they keep Christ at the center of our family in all areas, and I've seen so much growth in our family and our friends too. So there are many influences on us when it comes to what we believe and what we think about marriage. As we can see, our own experiences with our own family and with our parents communicate different messages to us. So your experience uh, shapes some way what you view about marriage. Some of them, not so great. Culture as well. 
plays a big role in what we believe about marriage and about relationships. Many of the TV shows that we watch portray an unbiblical uh, view of marriage like Modern Family or even like Friends. There's so many of these shows that are really popular that people watch are not made with a biblical worldview, and they're informing you about marriage whether you know it or not, right? And we allow them to shape us even though they're unbiblical. But as Christians— What do we know? Okay, we know that God has spoken. Like Paul said earlier, whenever we open the word, we know that God is speaking. He has has spoken to us through his word. And don't you want to know what God says? I don't know about you, but when it comes to marriage and relationships and and how to live my life, I I want to know what God has to say. I don't, I don't want to know what other people, what culture, and people that, that, don't, that don't really care about me, really. I, I don't want to know what they have to say about how I should live, how I should view relationships. I want to know what God has to say, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Okay, and we also know that all relationships will experience some level of brokenness. Okay? All relationships marriages will experience some level of brokenness. Why? Sin. Because sin has entered the world, there there is not going to be a perfect marriage. All marriages, all relationships will experience brokenness because of sin. But we'll see how this this reality that, that relationships are broken, we'll see how it points us to a greater person and a greater relationship that will never let us down. Right? So I want you to listen this morning. I want you to see what God has to say about marriage and about relationships because it matters and it points us to something so much greater and bigger than ourselves. So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea of the text that we read. Caden did a good job. The text, uh, Genesis 2, 21 through 25. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. The big idea is this. God establishes marriage between man and and woman for his glory and for our joy. By our, I mean humans. God establishes marriage between man and woman for his glory and for our joy. Don't just take my word for it, though. Let's look at what the word has to say and what it means. Look back at verse 21. It says this, So, stop! Don't go any further. We didn't make it very far. But this word, so, is very important, okay, because it links us back to what came before, right? So uh, if you're reading your Bible and you, you see the word so, you got to say, okay, what is this, what is this continuing thought? What, what just happened before? It links us back to what happened. This is a development of, of an idea of the story before. We have to understand the context, right? You guys know how to read. You don't need me to teach you. Okay, um, If you look back just before or scroll up on your phone, if that's the way that you're reading your Bible, we see that uh, in Genesis 2.18, the verse that we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, we see that God says it is not good, not good for man to be alone. Right? Ryan talked about that a couple weeks ago, how it is not good for man to be alone. That just happened in verse 18. Right? And then uh, we see that there is no helper. There's nobody made for or fit for the man. So he's alone. Adam is alone. It's not good for him to be alone. And there's nobody, right? There, there is no person, no thing that is made for him. There's not a helper fit for him. 
Okay, so that's what just happened when we get to our text this morning. That's our context. And, and remember, has sin entered the world yet? No. The answer is no. That happens if you look a little further. You see the fall in chapter 3, okay? So, so we're before the fall here. This is, this is God creating um, and, and still pre-fall. We see how it should be and what it's supposed to look like, okay? So we see, um, so, verse 21, the Lord God caused, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, because of this, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so this is God, this account, this is God making the woman out of one of Adam's ribs, right, and bringing her to him, instituting the first marriage. Okay, that's what we have going on here. I want to point out a few things to you that I want you to see in the text. I want you to see it, not just, not just what I, I, I think, but, but what it says here in the text. I want you to see this first. Marriage is God's doing. It's his work. Marriage is God's doing. Do you see this? We have, we have God declaring that it's not good for man to be alone. And then the Lord, God caused a deep sleep in, the, in verse 21. And then the rib that the Lord, God had taken from the man in verse 22. And then finishing that sentence, we see that the Lord God brought her to the man. Do you see that? God did it. God did it. This is the Lord's doing. He's the one that created this and instituted this. God makes the woman perfect for the man. And then, this is cool, like a father walks his daughter down the aisle. Have you guys been to a wedding? Have you seen this? Like, a, like, a, like the father of the bride walking his daughter down the aisle. You see that God brought Eve to the man. He instituted marriage. He created man and woman, and then he brings her to him like the first father of the bride. And if you've been to a, a wedding, you know kind of the, the emotion and, and, um, and, and everything that that represents uh, of, a, of a new life, a new union being created, the two becoming one flesh, right? A spiritual union, not just, not just physically, a spiritual union, the two becoming one. God institutes that. It is his doing. And this is a beautiful picture of the design and the intent for marriage. And it shows how much God cares about it, right? That he would bring her to the man, right? Ask any dad who's had to give his daughter away. This is, this is an emotional, uh, this is so, there's so much going on here that is so uh, deep and weighty and important. It's such a beautiful moment. And that's what we see here with God instituting, creating the first marriage, so God created this marriage, and the detail demonstrates his care for it. So, if marriage is God's doing, then why, why, does, this matter? why does this matter to you today? Well, for one, if God created it, if he's the one that, that, that did it, if, if marriage is his doing, then he gets to define what it is. 
right? He, he gets to say what marriage is and, and what it's not. If he's the one that created it, I believe that's true, right? It's not the culture that gets to say what marriage is. It's not the courts. It's not your teachers or your school or, or whatever, even, even your parents. It's, it, this is what God has to say marriage is. If he created it, this is his doing, then he gets to define what it is. Because what did we say at the beginning? We want to know what God says, Right? That's the most important thing. And we see in this text that marriage is God's doing. Okay? Next we see that the man and the woman were made for each other. The man and the woman were made for each other. God made Eve from Adam's rib. Okay, this guy named Matthew Henry said this. This is cool. He says, She wasn't made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. Isn't that cool? Adam and Eve are made of the, of the, same, of the same stuff. They're both created in the image of God like Genesis 1.27 teaches us. So they're, they're equal. They're, they're made both in the image of God. And this is the basis for equality in marriage. Right? Both men and women bear the image of God, and they were created for one another, both created by God in the image of God, yet having different roles to fulfill. Right? They're created for one another, to, to be a, a one body, one flesh. Adam and Eve were made for each other, and they need each other. Right? Did you know that Adam's words here are the first human words recorded in Scripture? It's pretty cool. Adam wakes up from the divine anesthesia, right? You ever think, like, how did God knock him out? He, like, just caused a deep sleep. I guess there's no recovery time whenever God is your surgeon. Like, when we wake up from surgeries, we're all, like, groggy and don't know what's going on. Like, Adam just snapped back, and he sees Eve right there, and he breaks out in poetry. This is a poem. This is a love song, okay? Adam, Adam wakes up, and he sees Eve there. He wakes up from this divine anesthesia, and he breaks out in poetry, in his joy, his, his overflowing joy, he breaks out in a love song. He's so happy that he sings. Right? I did the same thing when I first saw Emily Claire, too. Uh, I was probably singing a different song, though. Probably something like God Gave Me You or something cheesy like that. Anyway, Adam's response, Adam's response shows us that we were made for one another. Man and woman were made for one another. He says, at last, <laughs> At last, as in yes, here it is. Here's the one that I've been waiting for. Here's the answer to it's not good for me to be alone. Here it is, finally. At last, here's what I've been missing. Here she is. There's tremendous joy. Joy when a man and a woman live together in harmony with one another and with God. And that's what we see here. Now, will this ever happen perfectly on earth? No. Because of sin, remember all relationships will experience some level of brokenness because of sin. And some of you have testified to that earlier when I read. You said that my, my parents, my family, we, there's hard times, there's difficulties, there's struggles. Right? And some of you may be a product of divorce like myself. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old. I've seen the effects of sin in a marriage. I know that it's hard. I know there's brokenness in relationships. But remember what I said earlier, it points us to something greater that we're about to talk about. Right? So 
There's tremendous joy, though. I've, I've, I've seen and experienced the effects of sin in a relationship and in marriage, but I've also seen and experienced the tremendous joy that a marriage can hold. It's tremendous joy. Now, again, why does that matter? Well, um, <clears throat> before sin enters the world, we see the ideal of marriage. Here's what God has created, man and woman living together in harmony with God and with each other. This should be what marriage strives to do and to be today. And you say, Alec, I'm nowhere near being married. Again, amen. I'm glad that you're not. We do have some married people in the room, but most of you are not. That is, that is a good thing. But again, we must build our understanding of what marriage is based on what God says, what it is, its purpose, and we have to build it on the word of the God, not what people say or what people want it to be. We must believe, believe in our heart, right, in our minds, and do what God says. Okay, lastly, my favorite thing uh, we see in this text, this is the last point, is that marriage points us to the gospel. Okay, Pay attention to this. Marriage points us to the gospel. And what I mean by the gospel, hopefully you know what it is, but what I mean by the gospel is what Jesus has done to save sinners like you and me. Okay, so when you hear the word gospel, think about what Jesus has done to save sinners like you and me. Coming, living a perfect life of obedience and dying, taking our place, right? Taking our sin to the cross and dying for us. Right? So the gospel, what Jesus has done to save sinners, marriage points us to that. Okay, how? Well, verse 24 here in Genesis 2 is a foundational text, very important text for what other people say about marriage throughout the rest of the Bible. Okay? Verse 24, what did they say? Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Okay, so Genesis 2.24, very important for other places in Scripture, like Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. Jesus quotes it, and he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus says, Have you not read that, that God did that? He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's Jesus in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. Here, Jesus is affirming what the Bible says about marriage. Jesus believes that the Bible is the word of God. Fancy that. Jesus, God incarnate, believes in the word of God. He believes that it's true. Here, Jesus is affirming the Old Testament and what God did in Genesis 2. That This is, this is Jesus affirming that. Right? And then Paul also quotes this verse in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Okay, this is what Paul's saying in Ephesians 5. This mystery is profound. He's saying this, this thing, what God has done in instituting marriage, Okay, what God did way back in Genesis 2 when he put Adam and Eve together, what he did, that, what, I, what I'm about to tell you was a mystery. Okay, what's a mystery? Something that you have to figure out, something that was hidden beforehand, something you don't really know about. 
He says, this mystery, what, he, and he's about to give away the mystery. It's about to not be a mystery anymore. This mystery is profound. This is big. This is important. This is mega. This is large. This mystery is profound. What I'm about to tell you about marriage is profound. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm saying that it, it refers to Christ and the church. Huh? A man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife, the two becoming one flesh, that first marriage, that mystery is profound. That's big. What I'm about to tell you is huge. It refers to Christ and the church. What, is it? what does that mean? How does that make sense? Here is Paul saying, from the very beginning, when God created marriage, the union, the spiritual and physical union between a man and a woman, when he did that way back in Genesis 2, it was modeled after the coming union between Jesus and the church. Who's the church? You and I, believers in Jesus. Okay? So marriage from the very beginning was pointing us to what Jesus has done for you and me. Does that make sense? We're going we're gonna to keep talking about it. Okay? So marriage points us to what Jesus has done for you and me. Still confused? Hold on. Earlier in Ephesians 5, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? He tells husbands and wives how they are to treat one another, okay, in Ephesians 5. And, and he tells the husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, okay? So the way is a husband is to treat his wife, is to love her totally and completely self-sacrificially because that's the way that Jesus loved the church, wasn't it? Isn't that the way that Jesus loved you and I? He didn't, he didn't have to do anything. What he did was love us completely self-sacrificially and he gave his life up for you. He gave it up. Nobody took it from him. He laid his life down for you, for sinners. Okay? We didn't do anything to deserve that. Sorry. We didn't do anything to deserve that. Right? But Jesus, that's the way that he loves us. That's the way he loves the church. And Paul says that's how husbands are to love their wives, totally and completely self-sacrificially, not looking to their own needs, but in total surrender and love. Always look to serve. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't look to his own interests, like Philippians 2 tells us. Right? He looked to always serve, to always love, and ultimately he gave his life up for us, the church, right? And that's what husbands are to strive after, right? That is an intense love, an intense love that models what Jesus, the love that he has for his people, the church, you and I, believers in Jesus. That's how much Jesus loves us, and that's how marriage points us to the gospel, right? And then the instruction that Paul gives to the wives is to submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the, head of, is the head as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Okay, so, in the same way that we, the church, we surrender and walk in joyful obedience to Jesus. 
right? Isn't that what you and I do as the body, right? Isn't that what our church seeks to do? We seek to follow Jesus in joyful obedience. And we do that, like I said, joyfully because Christ's leadership, us following him is always for our good. It's always for our pleasure. It is always better when we follow Jesus, It's always better. That is a good thing whenever we submit and walk in in joyful obedience to Jesus. Okay, that is is a good thing because he loves us and loved us self-sacrificially so much that he gave his life up for us. So we as the church, we, the body of believers, we follow Jesus because it is always for our good and for our joy ultimately. And in the same way, if the husband in a marriage is leading his wife and loving her in a self-sacrificial way, a totally loving way, then it will be a joy for her to follow him in his leadership. Does that make sense? You see, you see how marriage, when done right in a, in a biblical way, points us to the way that Jesus loves us. Okay, it's a picture of what, of what Jesus has done for us, uh, dying for us as sinners. So marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is to be an example of the unbelievable, undeserving love that Jesus has shown you and I. Marriage is a picture of that. Jesus knew and he saw all of the flaws all of the imperfections, all of the sin that you and I have. He saw it all. He knew it all. And he still came. He still laid down his life for you. He still died for you, even though he saw all your sin and your shame. He took it upon himself. Okay? And in a, in a smaller way, a husband and a wife get to look at each other and say, I see all your flaws. I see all your sin. I see all your imperfections. But I still love you, no matter what. So marriage is a picture of the gospel. Marriage is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and I. That's true love. Right? True love doesn't say, do this for me. True love doesn't say, hey, follow this set of rules and then I'll love you. That's, that's, not, that's not true love. True love says, hey, I've already done it for you. I've already done it. It's already finished and that's the way that Jesus loves us. He's already done all the work. He says, hey, it, it's already finished. You just, you just follow me. Experience the joy that is following Jesus. True love says, it's already done. I've done it for you. Um, <clears throat> Timothy Keller wrote a book called Meaning of Marriage. So whenever you get a little closer to marriage, that should be the first book that you read in premarital counseling if you're going to get married. Just remember that, okay? He says this, we must say to ourselves something like this. Well, when Jesus looked down from the cross... He didn't think, I'm going to give myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No. He was in agony, 
and he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, and betraying him, and in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He stayed on the cross, knowing everything that he was paying for, knowing who he was saving. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. That's why I'm going to love my spouse. Speak to your heart like that, and then fulfill the promises you made on your wedding day. Okay, do you see, do you see what, what marriage is really about? It's, it points us to the way that Jesus loves us. Marriage points us to the gospel, and this was always God's plan. Right From the very beginning, way back in Genesis 2, sin didn't take God by surprise. Right? He's sovereign. He, he knew it was coming. This was always God's plan. Right? That, that the first marriage would point us to the way that Jesus loves us. That's the way that a husband and a wife are, are to love one another completely and totally self-sacrificially. Right? This is the most intimate human relationship we can experience on the earth. And in the end, when Jesus returns... When he comes to claim us, his bride, right? If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a part of the bride of Christ, okay? Sorry, guys, we get to be a part of the bride, right? Um, <clears throat> Matt Chandler says, if, if l- girls have to deal with being the sons of God, then guys can deal with being the bride of Christ, okay? That's, that's, that's us, and that's okay. We are a part of the bride of Christ, and when Jesus comes back, in eternity, there will be no marriage, in the way that you and I know it now. Because, because we will experience the unimaginable joy of being united with Christ fully and finally. All right, we get to taste it a little bit now as we follow Jesus, as we experience fellowship with him and we are in a union with Christ. We experience some of that joy, right? But all relationships are, are tainted by sin. But in the end, when Jesus comes and returns, the, the, the joy and the pleasure of being totally united with him in eternity, fully and finally forever. That's the hope that we have. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what we long for. And that's what marriage on the earth points us to, points us to the gospel. Did you know that Jesus loves sinners like you and me, like that? This is, this is profound. This is a profound mystery, like Paul says in Ephesians 5. This is huge. This is important. Right, that Jesus looks at us. He looked at us. He saw from the cross. He saw our sin and our shame and our guilt. And he still died for us. And in the same way, in a marriage relationship, we can look at each other. Man, woman, together, saying, I see you. I know your imperfections. I love you anyway. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.